The following message is from King's Church 1066, based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website, kings1066.org. Good morning, everyone. Why don't we stand? I think everyone's just got settled, so I thought I'd make you all stand up a little bit, so... Um, When you put your hand on your heart, I never quite know where my heart is. Do you know what I mean? Somewhere around there. Do you know what I mean? Lord, we ask you that you will speak to us today. Holy Spirit, we don't just want to grow in our understanding, although that is of great value. Lord, we want to connect with you. We want to hear you. And I ask you, Lord God, that as we... Look at your word today. Would you speak to us? Lord, would each of us know, Lord, that you have highlighted, you have spoken, you have encouraged, you have provoked, you've rebuked, that you've come and had your way in us. I pray give us open hearts. I pray our hearts would be good soil. Lord, that what what we hear today would produce a fruitful harvest of 30, 60, or even a hundredfold what was sown this morning. Thank you that you're here, God. Lord, I pray for those that don't know you that might be watching online or they're here with us right now. I ask you, Lord, you, Jesus, are the greatest gift. You are the greatest gift. And I pray, would you show yourself to them? wherever they might be. We ask for that in your precious name, Lord God. Amen. A few weeks ago, myself and Brian, we had the privilege of going to India. We visited a church we've got a really good friendship with. We've had that friendship for, well, well before I was leading the church. Um, But over the last eight years or so, we've had the privilege of bringing or taking various teams with us um, out to Mumbai to visit the life and uh, myself and Brian, we went to sort of reconnect after COVID. Uh, we thought we would go out, see what the lie of the land was, see how they are doing to encourage them. And to be quite honest, our plan is that we will, we will continue to take teams out to bless them. Um, so while we're out there, we're only out there for five days. Um, we, we visited the church on Sunday. Um, so if you're able just to pop, there's a few photos will um, come up. So uh, myself and Brian headed in different directions. We spoke at four different churches. Um, I did the ones nice and close to the hotel, so I didn't have to get up early. And Brian did the ones far away, so he had to get up a lot earlier than I did. Um, so we, we, we spoke at meetings in Chembur, Mahal, Kalyan, and Vashinaka, I think is how you pronounce it. Actually, it's not how you pronounce it, but it's as close as I'm going to um, get to. And it was just brilliant. You know, they're, they're all, the, all the meetings are in Hindi. So in one level, you do not know what's going on, but at another level, it is so encouraging to be with saints right the way around the world as they worship Jesus um, out there. So we joined them on Sunday. We also spent time with leaders as well. So we spent time with their eldership team. Um, They have a vision to see 100 churches planted over the next 10 years. 
around Mumbai, but probably further afield as well. And so it's a real privilege to be with them. We looked at the whole thing of team. We looked at what it is to lead out of weakness as well. And it was a great, great uh, time there. And we also, I know it looks like, if you look at the, the uh, picture on your right, it looks like Brian's asleep. Um, I wasn't speaking, so I don't think he was asleep at that point in time. But but that was with their lighthouse leaders, that's with their connect group leaders and just encouraging them um, in everything they're doing. Um, an absolute, like I say, joy to be with them in that setting. We also visited the Kendra Project. Um, this is, this is um, projects that uh, uh, meet in slum areas and it's teaching the kids English. Because if preschool children learn English, they can get into better schools. And if they can get into better schools, they have better prospects. And and whole families get transformed because their three, four-year-olds are learning English. So it's absolutely massively um, uh, uh, fruitful what they're doing. They've, they've changed to a Zoom uh, sort of basis. I think that came from um, lockdown. And so they teach the lesson for about 20 minutes on Zoom. Then they have in-person sort of uh, teaching assistants that are then helping the kids um, to engage with it. And I don't know if you remember, but, but over lockdown, you gave thousands of pounds to church in India. And one of the reasons that, that we went actually in person was because we've been really struggling to get the money out there. So we were able to take um, a big chunk of money out, which in part goes to, towards supporting what is happening there in seeing real life change take place um, within these different um, communities. So they have um, one Kendra in Mahal and one... Um, in Kalyan as well. And it, it was absolutely brilliant to see. I think the situation out in India is tricky. Um, it, it is, um, yeah, the, 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 the government are, are not pro-Christian. They're making it harder and harder for Christians to meet and worship. And um, persecution is, is on the rise out there. So please do pray for the Life Church, for Praveen and Jennifer and the leadership team out there. I think COVID and lockdown has hit them. Um, I think a lot of people that they were gathering have gone back to villages and things because that's the only place where, where they can find support away from Mumbai. And so it is, it is tricky out there, yet they're full of faith and full of expectancy of what God is going to do. And we have got a little message in Hindi that has come all the way from Mumbai. There's about seven or eight children there who would like to say hello to you. Firstly, they introduce themselves. Secondly, two of the children tell you something about why they're Christians and then they say goodbye. You won't understand very much unless you know Hindi, um, but they wanted to send a hello to you. Ready, go. I'm sure you got the full gist of that. So uh, I just wanted to start 
the preach, just it's good to feedback so you know. And like I say, really value your prayers for that situation, um, the Life Church in Mumbai. I don't know how true this study is, but I, I suspect that this is true. Um, someone did a study of churches in America, and they said that for every 85 people sat in church on a Sunday morning, one person becomes a Christian each year. So for every 85 of you sat here, that will relate to one person becoming a Christian every year. That's the ratio. Does that make sense? No? Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you look around here right now, if we work on that ratio, you look around, you think, oh, we might, we might see three people come to know Christ this year from among us. Now, I said this word a few weeks ago, I'm going to say it again. Isn't that rubbish? Isn't it? That is absolutely terrible. Our main, one of our main objectives other than worshipping Jesus is telling people about him who don't know him and introducing him to a saviour. And even if our stats are better than that, which I suspect they slightly are, if I'm honest, they're only slightly less rubbish. And, and I don't say this to sort of berate you or push you down or anything like that. To us, I do it because it provoked me and it should provoke you as well. One of the main reasons we are not yet in glory with Jesus Christ is because there are thousands and thousands and millions of people that do not know Jesus and they need a saviour. And the only way other than God's intervention in, in sort of dreams and visions, which he does do in certain parts of the world where sharing your faith is really, really difficult, the, the only way is as we demonstrate something of what Jesus has done in our lives to those that don't yet know him. And, 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 and there's a, there should be a burden, a desire on us that more would come to know him. I don't, don't know about you, but when I'm, I, I hear, hear those stats, I'm, I'm provoked. I feel uneasy. I, I, I look at my own life and I think, well, how am I doing in that? Am, how bold am I? How much do I share with my neighbours and my friends and work colleagues, those that do not yet know Jesus? And back in January, we, we, we did, didn't we, three or four weeks on going for the one. Who's your one? Who was it that you were praying for? Who was it that you were looking for an opportunity to reach out to? And we preached into it and we prayed into it. And if I'm honest, I really felt God lay this as something for us as a church. I think it's something for us to step into, to walk into. But I don't think it was just for January. I think this is to become increasingly part of our DNA. And we should have a godly dissatisfaction with how things are right now. I cannot believe that God's intention is for the next 10 years, we see 30 or 40 people respond to the gospel. That can't be right, can it? Can it? I think it's a bit warm in here. Can we just pop the heating down? It can't be right, can it? It can't. It cannot be right. We've got, we've got, we're running Alpha at the moment. And I'm, I'm running Alpha at the moment with a team. It's an absolute joy. I love it. We've got 16 people that are exploring something to do with Christianity on, the, on it, which is absolutely wonderful. It's really, really good. But I don't know, but you look around at this place, wouldn't it be amazing if this auditorium were full of people doing Alpha? All round tables, 
maybe 60, 70, 100 people in here. I think, I think God has got more for us than this. And on the back of this going for the one, we're going ha- to go into a new series on the kingdom of God because we want to, we want to uh, uh, give a bit more to the going for the one. We want to um, uh, help you, uh, equip you, provoke you and, and stir you about the kingdom of God and God's rule and reign and looking at what it looks like to go for those that do not yet know Jesus. And so what I want to do today is I just want to briefly introduce you to some principles about the kingdom of God and what it is and how it should affect us and how it affects those around us. And then we're going to look at one passage in Matthew chapter 6, which is really, well, to us, I could have picked nearly anywhere in the Gospels, but I picked that one because I believe that will be a starting point for us as we look at the kingdom of God, equipping God's people to take the kingdom to all peoples. So a couple of, just a couple of introductory comments. Firstly, I don't know if you've noticed this, but before Jesus was even born, we see that the kingdom of God is prophesied. It says in Luke verses 1, verses 32, Luke 1, 32 and 33, the Lord God will give him, that is Jesus, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So right from the very, very beginning, we see the kingdom of God is mentioned in connection with the birth of Jesus. And what we find is that in this world, there are two kingdoms, the dominion of darkness and the kingdom of God. One is ruled by Satan and every human being that is born is born into the kingdom of darkness. And the other one, the kingdom of God is ruled by Jesus. There is only one way to change between the kingdoms. Only one way. Jesus said this in Mark 1.15, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. There's only one way to transfer between the kingdom of darkness that every single person, all of you were born into that kingdom. And the only way you get out of it is one person at a time, repent, and believe the good news. It says in John 3, verse 3, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Each individual needs to make a response to Christ and be spiritually joined to God's kingdom. Through repentance and faith, we are introduced to the king of God's kingdom, that is Jesus, and we become part of his family. And at the cross, The power of Satan has been broken so that people can experience the rule of God in their lives. So we haven't just come to know Jesus when we became Christians. We joined another kingdom. We got transferred from one kingdom into the other. And you cannot be caught just between one or the other. It's not like one day you wake up and you're in the kingdom of darkness and the other day you wake up, you're in the kingdom of God. And then when you have a bad day, you go back again. No, no. When you come to know Jesus Christ, who is king of his kingdom, you transfer from one to the other. It's an absolute thing that has happened. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, when we seek the kingdom of God, we're seeking his rule and his reign in our lives and in the world. And we can't seek it in the world if it isn't in our lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
It's got to start with us. It must start in our hearts. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Not just Saviour. Because if he's not Lord, he's not your Saviour. If he's not the king on the throne of your heart, then he's not your Saviour. The two go together. God's kingdom doesn't have geographical boundaries. It's not like he's coming back for a certain nation or a certain tribe or a certain people group. He's coming back for all peoples. And it happens one person at a time. So as a Christian, you and I now live under the government of Jesus. We're in the kingdom of God. And this affects every aspect of our lives. And we've got to learn how we live as citizens of this kingdom. Now, we're living right now in the kingdom or the United Kingdom. Thank you, Tom. That affects the laws that we have to follow, the currency that we use, the language that we speak, the rules of the road, education, schooling, even even the health system that we get to enjoy is all shaped because we're part of this kingdom. When I went to India a few weeks ago, that was a different kingdom. They use different currency. They speak a different language. They have different laws. Certainly when it comes to moving around on the roads, the laws are very, very different. But it's fine because it's a different kingdom. We have transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, what we do is we have to learn what it means to live as part of a new kingdom. It's not just save but carry on as I was before because this is a growing kingdom. It's growing in the numbers of people that are coming to know Jesus, but it grows in my heart. It says the kingdom of God's like a mustard seed. And when Paul accepted Jesus, it was like a mustard seed that got planted in his heart. And then for the next decades, he is working out what it means to be part of this new kingdom. It's a growing, the, the, the seed is growing and it's becoming a little plant and a bigger plant until it's the biggest thing in his life. There is, there is an individual application that is so important for each of us. And so for us being part of the kingdom, it will affect, it affects your marriage. Even what you define marriage as gets defined by the kingdom. It's, it's, it's a kingdom definition. And how you work that out in humility and submission and respect, they're all kingdom principles that we put into play. What it's like as an employee or what it's like as a boss gets affected by the fact you are now part of another kingdom. You might once have done things in a certain way when you're in the dominion of darkness, but you're not there anymore. You've been wonderfully saved and transferred. So you take stuff off from the old kingdom and you leave it there. And you put on new things like honesty and integrity and caring for those that are working for you. This is what it means to be part of a new kingdom. So over the coming weeks, we're going to look at things like what is the, what is the good news of the kingdom? How does the kingdom grow? What's kingdom warfare like? What are kingdom signs and what should we expect with this? What does it look like to be part of the kingdom and an employee? What does my family look like because I'm part of the kingdom? What does even my expectations for retirement look like because I'm part of the kingdom? So we're going to be looking at these things because truth is it's completely uncompromising, totally unreasonable, but this is God's way. We're part of a kingdom, so everything is up for grabs. There's nothing that you can hold on to and say, no, this is mine. 
I'm not giving that to you, God. No, no, he is, wants to be king of everything. And he will pursue that. And then one last comment just before we turn to Matthew chapter 6. The kingdom of God is a present reality here and now. It says it in Romans 14 verse 17. God's rule and reign is crashing into the kingdom of darkness and taking ground. So every time someone comes to know Jesus, the kingdom of God has been revealed. Every time you choose to be righteous rather than to be ungodly, the kingdom of God is taking ground. Every time you serve the poor, every time you meet in your connect groups and you do life together in fellowship, the kingdom of God is growing and expanding. Every time someone gets delivered from the enemy, the kingdom of God has come. Every time someone gets healed, the kingdom of God has come. All of these are signs of the kingdom advancing, but it hasn't fully come. The kingdom has a future fulfillment still to come. Matthew 25 is very, very clear. And when Jesus returns, the kingdom will be fully here. Then there will be no more sin. Then there will be no more sickness. Then there will not be no more brokenness or pain. But until we get there, we are in a now and not yet kingdom. We win victory, but we also struggle with things we do not understand. We, we, we're in a kingdom that still has suffering, very much part of it. And the Bible says that when we suffer, we shouldn't be surprised that we are suffering as though what's gone wrong, we're living in a broken world. And because of that, bad stuff happens and it is rubbish and it is heartbreaking. But we're in a now yet not yet kingdom. And there's a tension that as believers of Jesus, we need to follow. I could have picked nearly any passage to preach from just by way of in introduction to this whole thing. But I really felt God highlighting to me Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. And I'm aware, even as I venture here, that for some of you, you're going to find what I say really hard. What I want to say is just start with a blank piece of canvas and think about what the Bible says. Try and park other stuff you've heard, even other stuff you believe. And I really do believe this is a kingdom message and I think it is timely for us right now. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not row, row, no, they don't row, they don't sow either, or reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow, they do not labour or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
what we worry about, what we're anxious about, reveals what we value. Our fears and our worries reveal what we fear to lose. It reveals what we think will make us happy and possibly where we have placed our hope. God and his kingdom, his rule and his reign have come to displace every idol in our lives. Anything in which we've placed our trust and hope above Jesus needs to go. Jesus and his kingdom comes and it says this, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. I mean, at one level, you could say it's ridiculous. At another level, you could certainly say it's completely unreasonable. But I think the more you read about what Jesus said, the more you realise he wasn't that reasonable. He was challenging. He was provoking to us. He says, don't worry about, what, about your life. And then he lists out three or four things that they would have been worried about. But you may add other things. You may not be worried about your food or what you drink or your clothing, but there will be things in each of us where we have, we have elevated fear and worry and anxiety about certain things above Jesus. He says, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you put on. He says, don't be preoccupied with these things what is it for you? Health, exam results, work situation, family concerns. Can you afford a holiday this year? Can you afford to put food on the table this year? Success. Maybe on the run up to Christmas, your main concern was, how do I get all the Christmas presents that I want to get for my kids? And the truth is, it's a daily battle in our hearts, isn't it? But Jesus gives us four reasons not to be preoccupied with these things. He gives us four reasons not to be preoccupied with these things. The first is this. It isn't food or clothing that makes the person. More than likely, when you look at the things you're worrying about, they are not the really important things. You are important. You are valuable in yourself. And whether you have the finest designer clothes or you have hardly anything at all, your value is not put on by what you wear. It's on here because you're made in the image of God. And whether the Christmas presents come through or whether you have success at work, they are, they are important, but they are secondary. You are valuable. And Jesus says it. Is not life more important than food? Is that not the case? It's not, the, it's not your stuff that is important or will make you happy and content. You can pursue this stuff all your life and find at the end you're still in poverty. You've still got nothing. You are valuable in the sight of God. And so as we are looking and we're thinking about worry and anxiety, Jesus says the first thing you've got to do is reassess actually how important is the stuff you're pursuing. Is it the really important stuff? Secondly, 
because your father knows what you need before you even ask him. It's interesting, I don't know if you notice this, we're talking about a king in a kingdom, but Jesus says, your father in heaven. Isn't that amazing? My father in heaven is king of a kingdom. He is king of a kingdom, but I come to him as father. And he, Jesus says, he says clearly, all of these things, he says, I know, he says he knows what you need before you ask him. But that is not where your, that's not your, should, that should not be first place in your heart. You get what I'm saying? He says, look at the birds. Pause for a moment from all that's going on in your life. Just look and see how God has ordered creation that they get fed. Look at the fields and at springtime, how amazing they look with the flowers coming up. And he says this, and he says, and you are much more valuable than they. And as you're sat here right now, you are valuable to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You have been adopted into his family. He is your father. And he says, I know what you need even before you ask it. I know what you need even before you ask it. So don't be preoccupied pursuing it. I know what you need. Are you not much more valuable than they? God cares. And, and for some of you, and I, I get it, because it, you know, it can be a battle of faith even believing that God cares for me. He does. He does. He cares for you. Number three. Jesus is very practical here. He says, anxiety and worry are completely unproductive. He says, who of you by worrying can add a single day to your life? So if you live to the age of 70, and many of you have gone flying through that, that landmark birthday, but if you live to the age of 70, you will have lived 25,550 days. 25,550 days. And even if you are a professional worrier, you will not extend the 25,550 days to 25,551 days. You cannot even add one single day to it. Worry, anxiety is not only unproductive, we know, doesn't it? Actually, it has an adverse effect on you. And Jesus is really practical. He says, just take one day at a time. So a long, long time ago, I spent a year in India. And although I'd sort of lived with friends and bits and pieces like that, I'd never left home really. And I thought, I do not know how I'm going to survive a whole year in a foreign country um, with a whole load of people I do not know. And if I'm honest, I, I suffered with homesickness. Someone gave a prophetic word to me before I left about take one day at a time. And truth is, do you know what? How I got through the first six weeks, and it was only the first six weeks, was I trusted God that he would get me to the end of today. And I made a conscious decision not to think about tomorrow. I just said, I'm not going to think about it. Do I believe that the almighty King of Kings and Lord of Lords can get me to the end of today and get me through it? And I said, you know what? He did yesterday. So I think he will. 
And I made that conscious decision not to worry about tomorrow. And I think stuff like that is incredibly powerful. Truth is, faith works that way anyway. God gives you faith for today, not faith for tomorrow. He, 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 he doesn't promise, in a sense, to provide what you need for three years' time when this might happen, or it might not. He says, I will give you faith to get through today. Now, trust me. I will provide what you need today. Food, clothing, grace, strength, hope. I'm not going to give you a whole download of hope that's going to get you through for the next 20 years. I'm going to give you hope for today. And then tomorrow you come eat again. Tomorrow you come again to me and I will provide hope for tomorrow as well. For me, for me, this is not just um, a, a, what's that phrase? Um, not academic. Um, this, this has real reality for me. Most Sunday mornings, I am nervous before I come. I'm nervous. I get anxious. I'm fighting a battle of faith. After I started leading the church, one Sunday I was so nervous I was sick in the flower beds outside. It, it gets me. I'm running out for at the moment. I'm loving it, but I'm anxious before I get there. Anxiety is a daily challenge that most of us will face. Certainly for me, it is weekly. And at times it can be acute. Now, I know maybe I'm not going through some of the things that you are going through. But what I'm saying is this is not just academic. This is not just theoretical. This works. This is Jesus's plan. This is how Jesus helps us through. And number four, I, I don't really quite know now where we're at, but number four, we've, we've changed kingdoms. What, why does this work, work about not worrying, not being anxious? Because you're in a different kingdom. He says, look, he says the pagans run after these things. Those who don't know Jesus, they run. They spend their whole lives trying to get these things, thinking that in them is contentment and happiness and fulfillment. But you're part of a different kingdom now. He says, but first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. It's not that, they, that, that we're unrealistic, that we don't think about some of these worries and concerns, but my first call is the kingdom of God because I'm now part of that kingdom. That is the thing that should be my first preoccupation. Other things come in after on the back of what I've been saying. We're to have a different focus. We're to be seeking God's kingdom, his rule and reign in our lives, his priorities. And sometimes I know, and I've said this, sometimes we think of repentance being a 180 degree turn from the direction we were going in. But sometimes repentance is just readjusting a few degrees. And we realise that over a period of time, we have been walking off centre with God and his kingdom. We've been pursuing maybe self-centeredness or selfish desires or things that actually we're not putting him first. There's this situation that really has got first place in my heart. And repentance sometimes is an adjustment of a few degrees to get back on course with God. I think the danger if we think it's only 180 degrees, most of us think we've already made that decision. But repentance is a daily thing as we come back to Jesus. 
The kingdom of God is about every thought, attitude, word, and action being conformed to Jesus Christ. It's challenging. As I said, at one level, it is totally uncompromising and unreasonable. His rule and reign taking first place in our hearts. And in verse 30, it even talks about, does he, did you notice he says, oh, you of little faith. I've already touched on it. But seeking God's kingdom first is a battle of faith, a daily battle that we pursue Jesus. Every single day, choosing him first. Even if we have other things pressing in, that first priority, one day at a time. So what does it look like to first seek the kingdom of God? Well, I've just taken a few things from Matthew 6, 7 and 8. And uh, then we're going to go into sort of take the bread and wine. So first seeking his kingdom is being salt and light. First seeking his kingdom is turning away from anger and offering forgiveness. First seeking his kingdom is purity, not lust. First seeking his kingdom is faithfulness in marriage. Not just in actions, but in thoughts. The kingdom of God is keeping your word your yes being your yes. The kingdom of God is not retaliating. The kingdom of God is loving others, even your enemies. The kingdom of God is giving to the needy. The kingdom of God is praying and fasting. The kingdom of God is laying up treasure in heaven through generosity. The kingdom of God is rejecting anxiety. The kingdom of God is not judging others. The kingdom of God is faith-filled, prevailing prayer. The kingdom of God is doing to others as you'd have them do to you. The kingdom of God is bearing fruit. The kingdom of God is knowing Jesus. The kingdom of God is building your life on Jesus' teaching. This is what we're about. We are a countercultural people. We're following Jesus. And he hasn't left us on our own. I don't know about you. I was reading that list thinking, oh dear goes on and on. But that's why, that's why he's given us his Holy Spirit. That's why he's taken us out of one kingdom, brought us into another kingdom. It's not that we get it all right, but it cuts right to the heart of who we are and what we're about. The message of the kingdom is repent and follow Jesus. Everything is up for grabs, even our worries and anxieties. In what areas are you still living as though you're still part of the old kingdom? In what area of life are you still living as though you're part of the old kingdom? There's a new, there's a new, there's a new way to live. There's a new king to follow. God really does care for you. He promises, first seek my kingdom. And all these things will be given to you as well. First seek my kingdom and all these things will be given to you.